if you will, join me uh, in your Bibles this morning uh, in the book of 1 John. Uh, the book of 1 John is in the New Testament, not John's gospel, but 1 John, his first letter to the church. If you have a bookmark in your Bible uh, still there in 1 Peter, uh, I encourage you guys to just flip there and then go over to uh, the right. I'm directionally challenged. It's okay. Melanie knows this. She makes fun of me. But keep going over there, and you'll find uh, after 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 this morning, uh, verses 13 and 16. As you're turning there, let me uh, just share with you that we are entering into my absolute favorite time of the year. Uh, for those of you who don't know, today is December 1st, and that means that I can now publicly, actually it's after Thanksgiving now, so I can publicly say that I've been listening to Christmas music since August. Uh, I've been sneaking Michael Bublé's Christmas album around the house, honey. Uh, I'm sorry to tell you that. <laughs> but uh, Christmas is just, it is my favorite time of the year. Uh, I don't know if it's just the fact that uh, the lights uh, that people put up, the Christmas trees, the music, the time to be with family and friends, uh, of course, the gifts, they're awesome. But just the fact that uh, Christmas, for me, has always just been a season of just beautifulness. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, my parents, uh, they did Christmas uh, well at our house. I can remember going up to Elizabeth City to be with my grandma and my granddaddy and my poppy as we celebrated Christmas, and just what a great time that was for me as a child. And just, I look forward to it each and every year. And Christmas, uh, it, it, to me, it just, it's beautiful. No other way to describe it. In fact, Bo calls me Mr. Christmas around the office because of just how much I love it. And he knows that I've been sneaking Christmas music around the office. Um, but I'm also aware that as much as I love Christmas, there are some people that this time of year, uh, that's not the case. I, 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 I know that others, they, I want others to feel Christmas the way that I do, and that doesn't happen. You know, I, I tell them, hey, you know, put up a, a Christmas carol on the record player or, you know, uh, put an ornament on the Christmas tree, and that doesn't do it for them. The idea of being with family, that's not good for them. I remember what a dear friend of mine who shared with me a few years ago as I helped him and his wife uh, decorate their tree that Christmas. It wasn't special. It wasn't a special time for him. He remembered growing up in a divorced family that Christmas meant Christmas in two different homes. It meant a family that wasn't fully there. And so for my friend, Christmas didn't, didn't bring up uh, warm feelings. And that may be for some of you in this room as well. I don't know. In a room this size, I, I will take that gamble and say that for many of us in this room, Christmas may not be what the movies and the songs tell us that we are to have. There are deep and painful hurts that come with this season. Perhaps maybe you're missing the, love, the arms of a loved one this Christmas season that has gone on to be with the Lord. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that uh, your bank account is running on fumes and you're wondering how you're going to afford that one gift that your child or grandchild keeps saying, hey, if I just have this, then I'll be happy. Perhaps your struggling is actually with that of family. You know, I, I, I'm not immune to the fact that the holidays mean that you have to be with your family. And for some of you, that's a chore. And that's not something you look forward to. And so it actually, instead of, makes you wanna, instead of making you be cheerful, it makes you want to become a Scrooge. Or maybe it's this time of year. Maybe it's the shorter days, the colder nights. Maybe you miss the warm Georgia sun, and so seasonal depression comes in, and you just you struggle. These are real realities for many people during the Christmas season. And oftentimes, folks like me, who are Mr. Christmas, 
They tell you to be cheerful. You know, put on a Christmas carol. Put on Miracle on 34th Street or watch Home Alone 1 and 2 back to back. And you might feel that, that Christmas feeling. But really, that's not what Christmas is. That's not the real Christmas. That's commercialism. So what is the true meaning of Christmas? What is the point of this Advent season? Well, at this point, I actually consider uh, having Linus tell us what the true meaning of Christmas is. But there's a beautiful passage of Scripture here in front of us in 1 John that really details what Christmas is all about. And so my hope and my aim is that we all leave here with an unshakable foundation of what the hope of the gospel message brings during these, this time of year. So if you will stand with me at the reading of God's Word. God's holy, infallible, all-sufficient Word. Again, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, and I'm going to read out loud. I encourage you to read silently along with me. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And so we have come to know and to believe that Uh, Believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in the love abides in God, and God abides in him. Will you pray with me? Father God, Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, to be here this morning. On this first day of Advent, as we remember of your first coming, as you came as a babe in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, helpless as you were. Lord, we also remember that you came so that we could have life. What a beautiful, beautiful mystery and truth. That the God of the universe would wrap himself in flesh, become one of us so that we could know him. And so, Father, I pray that this morning you would hide me behind the cross. As fragile and sinful as I am, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would help me to proclaim a beautiful message of hope for I am a jar of clay. So, Father, I pray that you would use this morning to change us and to mold us to be more like your Son. We ask and pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Today's message I've entitled, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And that title is a play on words. I don't know if you noticed this, but there was one word that was repeated five times by the Apostle John in these few verses that we read from his epistle. And that word is abide. In fact, I think it might be John's favorite word. Uh, The word abide occurs at least 40 times in his gospel. And there are 29 uses of this word in his letters. It is the Greek word katako, which simply means to dwell, to live, to inhabit and reside in. In other words, to make your home in. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do we dwell in what society tells us to Do we let our emotions be the dictator of our day, or do we dwell in the beauty and the nature and the hope of the gospel? Do we truly abide in the love of God? John shares with us in this text that we read this morning that we are to dwell in Christ, to abide in Him, to make our home in. You see, John wants us to dwell in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so this Christmas season, my hope for everyone in this room and those that will listen to my voice through the use of technology, that we would not make this season only about dreaming for white Christmases and jingle bells, 
but in the fact that God himself made a way from death to life in Christ and then invites us to abide in him, to abide in his arms. And so for those of us uh, who know Christ this morning, my hope and my prayer is that you would just be encouraged this morning. For others of you, I want you to hear this message and ask, are you truly making your home in Christ? And will you be home for Christmas this year? So let me unpack this text a little bit, and we'll go through uh, this uh, section of Scripture. Firstly, this this morning I want us to see, we are at home in Christ by abiding in the Spirit's presence. We are at home in Christ by abiding in the Spirit's presence. Look back with me at verse 13, and notice how uh, John begins. He says, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. He begins it with this phrase, by this we know. John uses this phrase 10 times in the course of this letter to instruct the church, to encourage us. Generally, he says this right before he's going to like lay down a gospel bomb on the church. In fact, let me just read a few of these examples. Uh, 1 John 2, 3 says this, this is how we are sure that we have come to know him. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him. This is how we know we are in him. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Chapter 3, verse 19 says, this is how we will know we belong to the truth. You see, John wants to assure the church of many things in Christ. He wants to encourage us. He wants to encourage us to press on to believe in Christ. For those who have professed Christ, he's saying, are you pressing on into Christ? Are you dwelling in him? Are you making your home in this knowledge? Is Christ your identity? And so we need to ask this question. What does John want us to particularly know here in verse 13? Here's the answer. That we abide in God, that we make our home in Christ, and God himself abides in the believer with the gift of the Holy Spirit. He abides in us, indwells in us by the gift of his Holy Spirit. This amazes me, church. This truth right here, the fact that God himself, the creator of the universe, chooses to indwell in us, sinful creatures that we are, that should sort of just make that moment of just, wow, how awesome is our God that he would do this. Now, just a little pastoral care here. When I say the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let me just say here, the Holy Spirit is not Jiminy the Cricket, okay? The Holy Spirit is not the force from Star Wars, The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a person. The Holy Spirit is co-equal in majesty with God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit is God. And so we serve one God revealed in three distinct persons. And the question needs to be asked, Dave, how can that be? Well, I'm glad you asked. You're a great audience, by the way. I wrestled with this uh, 10 years ago when I was in college. I really wrestled with this to the point where it was almost insanity. I actually skipped classes so I could go into the library and I could research what others had written about the Holy Spirit. I wanted to know everything about it. I wanted to see if I could understand how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit could be all three in one with three distinct persons. I wrestled with this. Have you all ever seen Castaway? Y'all remember what Tom Hanks looked like at the beginning of the film and how he looked like after five years on the island? That's what I looked like after doing this. I, I was wrestling with this. I was, I was just, I, it was all that, it consumed me. 
And so one night I woke up in cold sweat and I was just like, I get it. I understand. I understand how God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit can all be three in one. And I can understand the, the Trinity. And it was just, I, I, I just sat there in my bed in the dorm and just amazed. I was just, wow, this is great. And I went back to sleep knowing that I knew it all. And I woke up and I didn't know a thing. That's a joke. Y'all can laugh. Uh, and if my parents, y'all listening, I did attend my classes, okay, 98% of the time, I promise. The Holy Spirit is a mystery. How our God can be three, three distinct persons, co-equal in majesty, how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit can be this, this one triune God, because the Lord our God is one, as Deuteronomy declares, is a mystery. And I love how Deuteronomy also shares that the mysteries of God belong to God. And the revealed things of God belong to us, the church. And so what we see here in 1 John, John's not trying to uh, confuse us. He's not trying to mess us up. He's trying to be very plain with us. And John is revealing to us what happens here in verse 13 is that God himself indwells in the hearts and minds of the believer who call on his name for salvation. That is the simple truth that we should unpack here in verse 13, that God himself, by his spirit, indwells and abides in us. This is that hope that we have. This is the simple truth, no complexity here, that God himself lives life with us. You may be asking, okay, Dave, how do I know that this mutual abiding occurs? How do I know that the Holy Spirit truly is living in me? Well, that's a good question, and here's the answer. Look back with me at verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4, and it provides part of the answer. It reads, we love one another, and his love is perfected in us. Jesus would say it like this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, John 13, 35. The rest of the answer is found in verses 15 and 16 that we've read this morning. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us, that God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. Put it simply like this, putting it all together. We know that we abide in God and God abides in us simply by this, at the confession of Christ as our Lord. God gave us the Holy Spirit as a gift of his grace when we realize that Jesus is who he says he is and that we need a Savior, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, indwells in us by a gift of his grace. And the secondly is this. We abide in God's love, and his love abides in us. God's love abides in us, and we abide in God's love. He is ours now and forever, church. No one can pluck us from his hands, as Paul writes in Ephesians 1. This is a gift of grace for all eternity. This is how we know that the Spirit abides in us, when we confess who Christ is and then live for him. As James shares in his letter to the church, do not be a mere hearer of the word, but do what the word commands because you love your Savior. Or as I was reminded yesterday, what an old friend told Melanie and I uh, several years ago, do the next right thing. If you love Christ this morning and God's Spirit abides in you and you abide in the Spirit, then you know what you're called to do. Live for Him. 
Don't live for the passions of this world. Don't live for your sinful desires. But when sin comes knocking on your door, you go, I have a better affection in Christ. And that sin, it's not going to come near me because I'm going to live for Christ. I don't want what this candy-coated pleasures that this world has. I want more of Christ. And church, I hope that that's your prayer. That when this world offers all that it has to offer you, you say, no, I want more of Christ. Because his spirit is indwelling in me. And I realize just the beautiful nature of the fact that God himself lives in me. And so therefore, I want my life to uh, just be an, a, a worship offering to him. That everything I do, everything that I say, everything that I partake in, everything I watch with my eyes, every word that comes out of my mouth, I want, to be ma- I want the world to know how much I love my God. So do the next right thing. If the Spirit lives in you and you know the Word of God and you know what it commands, maybe not to the full extent of it, but you know the basics, then do the next right thing and honor Christ in the way that you live. Now, let me also address a concern this morning that might be popping in some folks' mind. The proof that the Spirit lives in you does not come from some magical sign. It doesn't come from some miracle moment, action. It, I've heard many people share with me over the years, Dave, the way that you know that the Spirit lives in you is because you, uh, you can speak in tongues, you can do uh, prophecy, and you can be slain in the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole that is spiritual gifts right now, but I will tell you that all questions, comments, and concerns about spiritual gifts, y'all can email me at my personal email address, and that's bo.fulgenetti at gmail.com. What I will say is this. The Bible never says that those manifestations of the Spirit is a sign of God abiding in you. In fact, according to Matthew 7, there will be people on the last day that will come to Christ and say, but Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not expel demons uh, in your name? Did I not heal the sick? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus is saying right there that the fact that these manifestations of the Spirit does not mean that the Spirit is living in you. So, how do we know that the Spirit lives in us? Because I confess Christ as my Savior, and I strive to live for Him daily. Having spiritual gifts, or looking like you do, does not equal proof of the abiding presence of the Spirit. Again, church, if you love Christ, you will obey His commands. In fact, you will want to obey. It's not a chore to obey Christ. You will say, because of what my God has done for me, how can I not live for him? And if God chooses to bless you with spiritual gifts, then awesome. But you know that the Spirit abides in you because you confess Christ as your Savior and you abide in his love. Secondly, this morning, we know that the Spirit abides in us when we confess Christ as our Savior. To put it another way, we are at home in Christ when we confess the Son as Savior. Look back with me at verses 14 and 15 and see what uh, John writes here. And he says again, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. In verse 14, John affirms what he has seen as an apostolic witness of the events. And then in verse 15, he addresses his confession and the blessings that accompany that particular confession. So what did he observe firsthand that he must bear witness to? The Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 
that in Christ the Father has sought to redeem all of mankind from the curse of sin. You see, none of us can satisfy the standards of God. None of us can live up to His holy expectations. All of us are by nature children of wrath that Paul writes in Ephesians 2. All of us have chosen to go our own way. All of us have chosen to live and do what we think is right in our eyes. And we say to God, hey, that's cool that you're God of the universe, but right now I'm going to be God. That's what sin is. Sin is denying the divinity of God and the lordship of him over your life and saying, I'm going to live the way that I want to live. And so as Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then he says this, by grace you have been saved. By grace that you have been saved, not of your own doing, not of your own works, not of your own good deeds, but by what Christ accomplished for you. I like what John Newton says. He says two things I know. I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior. And so God in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, shared in Genesis 3.15 that there would be a seed that comes from the woman that would crush the curse of sin and redeem all of mankind. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy, church. Jesus is the promised Messiah. All of Scripture is pointing to Him, to the only one who can save us from our sins. Church, do you know that today? Not on an academic level. Not in saying, oh yeah, Dave, I I know Jesus is the Savior of the world. But church, do you know that you know that Christ is who He says that He is? That He's the Savior who's redeemed you from your sin? Do Do you just worship in that fact some days? Do you just realize how great a wretched sinner that you are, that you can say with John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? that Jesus is the promised Messiah of old. As the old hymn declares, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sins. Jesus is both fully God and both fully man, meaning that he can satisfy the the justice and the holiness and the purity of God, but he can also relate to us. You see, the book of Hebrews says that he was tried in every way, yet without sin. So Jesus is aware of our own frailties. Jesus is aware of our needs. Jesus is aware of our struggles. There is no other friend like Jesus. Jesus is the Savior that we need, not our money, Not our job, not our wealth or influence or our accolades. It is only Christ that saves. And this world wants to tell you, well, no, there are many ways to to salvation. There are many ways that you can get to God. No. I was telling the students a little while ago that Christianity is absolute truth. Jesus makes absolute claims about himself, black and white. There are no gray areas. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. While this world wants to say that there are many ways to the mountain of God, there is only one way, and that is through Christ. You see, in Jesus, as Larry quoted me a few moments ago, he lived the life that we could not live. 
And he died the death that, I, that you and I were supposed to die. And he conquered sin, hell, and the grave in the resurrection and now sits at the right hand of the Father on high, living to intercede for each and every one of us who call on his name for salvation. As John shared earlier in his letter, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2.2 2. Jesus is our substitute. That's what the word propitiation means. We traded places. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. He got our penalty of condemnation while we got, our, we got his position of favor. Richard Taylor, I'm reading a book right now, uh, The Atoning Work of Christ with a friend of mine. And Richard Taylor, writing on this work of Christ, he shares this. Edison brought light everywhere but to the heart. Dr. Bernard pioneered the heart transplant. But when a young man in India wrote, please give me a new heart, one that is pure and kind and good, the good doctor was silent. You see, church, everyone wants to have this idea, this feeling that they are right before God. And as Richard Taylor wrote, Edison brought light everywhere but to the human heart. The human heart is wicked and vile. I've told you guys this before. I, I love going to Hobby Lobby and I'll see these signs, follow your heart. No, I don't want to follow my heart. My heart's wicked. If I went after every idea of my own heart, I would not be standing here with you and I would not be married to her. I need Christ to guide my heart. Or as Dr. Bernard was asked, can you give me a pure heart? Can you trade out this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh? No human physician can do that. Only the great physician, Christ. And so Christ is the one that we need to do the work for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus met every standard of the Father. He is the Savior of the world because He is the only perfect one. Or as Paul writes in Romans 5, that He is the second Adam. Remember the first Adam? He sinned. But the second Adam, He lived the life that we could not live. And that right there is to be a, 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 a moment of just confidence knowing that our salvation does not rest on what you and I do, but rests on what Christ did for us at the cross. He is our Savior now and forever. And so John says that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. He dwells in him. He makes his home in this knowledge and he in God, as he writes in verse 15. This is the Savior that the Father sent, who is sufficient for all of our needs, the one who can pardon the worst of sinners. And this is the Savior that we are called to share with the world. I love the video that Jody shared a few moments ago. Church, there are 3.19 billion unreached persons in this world today. 3.19 billion that don't know Christ. Cedar Street, I don't want you to hear that as a statistic. I don't want you to go home and think, wow, that's a big number. I want you to think that these are individuals that look just like you and me. That they get up every day, they have to go find water, they have to go to a work, they have to put their pants on one leg at a time. They are just like you and me looking for hope in a hopeless world. And I'm so grateful for the missionaries who give of their life to go out into these lands and share with others about who Christ is. But let me tell you something. You don't have to go to India to be a missionary for Christ. 
You don't have to go to Bangladesh. You don't have to go to Nepal. You don't have to join with us if we go to Utah next year or go to India, as Bo has shared with uh, the mission committee about that possibility. You don't have to do any of that. Right here in Metter, in, in Candler County, in Statesboro, in Vidalia, and beyond, there is lostness here in Georgia. Are you sharing? Because if you truly believe that Christ is who he says he is, then you will share that good news. That will be your heartbeat for your life. Everything that you live and do will be, how can I make much of the one who has saved me? I tell our students every Wednesday and Sunday that they are missionaries in their schools. They are missionaries in Metter Middle and Metter High. Church, you are missionaries wherever you go. Be it to the office, be it to Bilo, be it to Hobby Lobby, or be it around the Christmas table this year with your family that doesn't know Christ. Are you sharing? Are you praying for the lost? Colossians 4.2 says we are to devote ourselves to prayer. Are you praying for the lost? Does lostness burden you? Do you, do you wake up at night just praying, God, please save my friend who doesn't know you? Because if they don't know you, then they're going to die and go to a sinner's hell. Lord, help me to find words to say. Does that wake you up at night? Does that burden you? Pray for lostness. Because Christ came to be the Savior of the world, not just the Savior of Candler County, but the Savior of the world. And so when you pray, don't just pray for the lost friend that you have at your co-worker at work, but pray for those who are in Bangladesh right now who don't know Christ. Pray for the Hindus right now that are dragging themselves down the city street thinking that if they do enough that their God will be satisfied. Pray for the Muslims right now who think that they devote themselves to a God that they cannot know and a God who will not reveal themselves to him, to them, excuse me. You pray that Christ will reveal themselves to him, that they will hear the Injil, which is gospel in Arabic, and they will come to know that Christ is the Savior that he said he was. Pray. And then give. Right now we have a unique opportunity as uh, Southern Baptists to give to missionary efforts. I love the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I love the Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering because these offerings remind us that we are not just a church by ourselves and a silo ministry, but that we are part of an SBC denomination that lives and breathes the mission of Christ. And so every dollar, every penny that is given to the Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering doesn't stay here at Cedar Street. It doesn't go into the SBC account. It goes out into the mission field. It goes to help Mac and MJ who are in Southeast Asia right now hoping to share Christ with the lost. It goes to help my friends Daniel and Tara in Japan, who are right now praying for the lost in Tokyo, looking for ways uh, to uh, uh, take the Olympics that are coming in 2020 and use that as a vehicle to share with others about who Christ is. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering is a beautiful, beautiful tool that we have as a church body to be a part of the mission of Christ and to share the news of who the Savior of the world is. So church, I want to encourage you to give sacrificially to this beautiful offering. Give above and beyond the tithes and offerings that you already give for the sake of the gospel. Finally this morning, we are at home in Christ when we abide in the Spirit's presence.
We confess that Christ is the Savior of the world, and then by abiding in the Father's love. We are at home in Christ by abiding in the Father's love. Look back with me at verse 16. And it says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. John is very aware of the love that God has for him. In fact, if you go and you read this letter of 1 John, he will say words like, Beloved. Now, he's not writing a Hallmark card of Valentine's to the church. When he uses that term, beloved, it is a term of identity to his listeners. Do you know that you are beloved by God? Do you just rest in the fact that God loves you? Does that fact that the God of the universe can look at you, a sinner, say, I love you? This is the God that we serve. And this is the God that John wants us to abide in, to dwell in. And so for the second time in chapter 4, go back and look at verse 8. John says, God is love. And what a loving God he is. How do we know? Dave, how can you know the love of God? Well, I found this beautiful list. And I'm only going to read you partial of the list. In fact, the list was about this long. I'm only going to read you about that much. Through Christ, I am dead to sin. Through Christ, I am spiritually alive. Through Christ, I am forgiven. Through Christ, I am a child of God. Through Christ, I am God's possession. Through Christ, I am a citizen of heaven. Through Christ, I am crucified with him. Through Christ, I am an heir of God. Through Christ, I am declared blameless and innocent. Through Christ, I am secure in him. Through Christ, I am at peace with God. Through Christ, I am loved by God. Church, what a beautiful list that is. And that's just some of the ways that God has loved us. Church, do you abide in that reality? I know that life is hard for everyone in this room. I know that there are struggles right now in this room that are quiet and silent. And you're wondering, how can God love me? How can God love a sinner like me? Or this moment's going through right now. This, this is a hard time. This is a hard time for my family, Dave. You don't know what's going on. I just don't know if God loves me. Go back to the Scriptures. Go back to the Word of God and remind yourself of your identity in God's love. Do not rest in what your emotions say. Rest in what the truth of God's Word reveals about His love for you. That you are God's possession. That you are His and His alone. That no one can pluck you from His hand. He is your Savior and He is your God. You are his child. And so we know and we believe in this settled reality that God loves us. Sometimes we may not feel it. Sometimes that warm, fuzzy feeling that we get when we know that God loves us, maybe that won't come this Christmas season. Maybe you're going to go throughout this entire season and just feel as if God has abandoned you. Let me tell you something God has not. God has not abandoned his children. Never will he leave you nor forsake you. How can I tell you with such assurance that God won't abandon you? Because he abandoned Christ at the cross for our sake. And so if he did that to Christ, that means that he will hold us in a grip that cannot be moved. 
And his love for us is sufficient. His love for us is secure. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Church, the Father has loved us in a love beyond compare. And John says, whoever abides in this love, dwells in it, makes their home in it, God abides in him forever. Let me end where I began this morning. Again, I shared a list of issues that are real, and they are painful realities for some in this room this Christmas season. And it can affect how a person relates to Christmas, right? Some guy, some guy like me who's a nut job for Christmas, who has every kind of crazy Christmas sweater that you can imagine. And you're like, I, I just don't feel Christmas this season. That's okay. Christmas is not an emotion. Christmas is not a feeling. Christmas is a reality in Christ. The title of this message, I'll Be Home for Christmas, again, is a play on words. Y'all may know the old uh, song. I'm not going to sing it for you for sake of time, and I don't want to embarrass Jody. But I'll be home for Christmas means that this Christmas, I'm going to be home in the arms of Christ. This Christmas season, I'm going to rest in the knowledge that I have a Savior who loves me. I'm going to rest in the knowledge that my God left his throne above, lived the life that I could not live, died the death that I was meant to die, rose again victorious. I'm going to rest in that love, and I'm going to abide in it. I'm going to make that my home. Church, for those who know Christ this morning, I pray that that's what you'll do this Christmas season. And all the hustle and the bustle that's going to take place, and all the uh, craziness of having to go to Bilo and fight everyone for that turkey, or having to beat everyone to a particular sale at the mall. And all of that, you will say, you will stop and pause and say, I'm going to be home in Christ this Christmas. I'm going to rest in Him and Him alone because of what He did for me at the cross. For others of you in this room, you don't even know who Christ is. You've heard of Him, but you don't know Him. You have a whole bunch of head knowledge about who Christ is, but right here, He doesn't live there. I want to encourage you. This morning, let today be the day of salvation. Confess your need for Christ. Confess your sins to Him, and He will be faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins. And then He will be the Lord of your life. I'll be down front. There will be others here as well that are deacons that can answer any of your questions, but I encourage you. Will you be home for Christmas this season? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that your love abides in us. I thank you that, Lord, you sent your son to die for us. Lord, I thank you that Christ did what only he could do. Nothing that we could do for ourselves, but only what he could do by living the life that we could not live. By being nailed to that cross. By dying a sinner's death in our place. Lord, let that knowledge of that gospel, that truth, be what spurs us on this season. Nothing that we can do, but only Christ. And Father, I pray that, Lord, for those who are hurting in this room right now,
those who are wondering where your love is, Lord, I pray that, Lord, they would rest in the knowledge of your love, rest in the truth of what your word says, not in what their emotions dictate to them, for emotions make terrible taskmasters. But that, Lord, they would remind themselves of your truth, of your love, and they would walk from this place this morning knowing how much that you love them. Lord, I pray for that. Lord, I ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.